Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Friday, July the 5th, and this is your FT News Briefing. British Marines and Gibraltar police seize a tanker suspected of carrying Iranian oil to Syria. The Women's World Cup reaches its finale, but will the expected winners take up their invitation to the White House? Who are the main contenders to replace Christine Lagarde as IMF chief? Plus, our features writer Henry Mance tells us about the pressure US space agency NASA is under to put astronauts back on the moon by 2024. I'm Katie Martin, and here is the news you need to start your day. The seizure by British Royal Marines and Gibraltar police of a super tanker suspected of carrying oil to Syria risks inflaming tensions between Tehran and the EU. If, as suspected, the cargo is confirmed to be of Iranian origin, the two million barrel shipment would be in breach of EU sanctions against the Assad regime. Shipbrokers and tanker tracking data indicated that the oil on board was from Iran, and the government of Gibraltar said it had reasonable grounds to believe the Panamanian-registered vessel was taking the oil to Syria's Banyas refinery. Iran, a close ally of the Assad regime, is a target of US but not EU sanctions following the Trump administration's decision to withdraw from the 2015 nuclear deal. And EU nations, including the UK, have been working with Iran to try and create a mechanism outside of the US financial system to allow Tehran to continue trading under the terms of the nuclear deal. Tehran argues it can no longer be bound by the terms of the nuclear deal as long as its oil sales remain largely cut off. A person familiar with the operation to seize the tanker said the decision was based entirely on its suspected final destination in Syria and that the fact that the cargo may be of Iranian origin did not influence the decision. This Sunday sees the final of the Women's World Cup, pitting the US against the Netherlands in a tournament that's attracted unprecedented numbers of viewers but has not been free from controversy. On the pitch, the US women's football team has shown it can score against all rivals. Off the pitch, the players are also taking shots against a perceived political opponent, Donald Trump. Since his election, Mr Trump has attacked some of the country's top athletes over their political stances, extending America's culture wars onto the sports field. Yet the US women's football team has long used a unique position in American society to challenge authority and take on progressive causes. On the eve of the World Cup, 28 members of the squad sued US soccer, the sport's national governing body, for institutionalised gender discrimination, arguing they do not receive equal pay and resources to their male counterparts, despite the relative success and popularity of the women's team. Last week, Megan Rapinoe, one of the team's stars, said she would not be going to the effing White House should the team receive an invitation to the presidential mansion. Mr Trump issued a sharp rebuke in response, saying on Twitter that Rapinoe should win first before she talks and should never disrespect our country. Ms Rapinoe this week held her ground. I stand by the comments that I made about not wanting to go to the White House, with the exception of the expletive. My mom will be very upset about that. But I think obviously entering um, with a lot of passion, considering how much you know, time and effort and pride we take in the platform um, that we have and using it for good and for leaving the game in a better place and hopefully the world in a better place. Um, I don't think that I would want to go and um, I would encourage my teammates to think hard about lending that platform or having that co-opted um, by an administration that doesn't feel the same way and doesn't fight for the same things that we fight for. So, Mr. Trump has issued a White House invitation to the US women's football team, win or lose, this Sunday.
The moment Christine Lagarde secured the nomination for the top job at the European Central Bank this week, she appeared to leave a gaping hole at the top of the IMF. What kind of job has she done and who will be the successful replacement candidate? Chris Giles is here to discuss the lineup. I mean, first of all, Chris, sum up Ms Lagarde's presence at the top of the IMF. What kind of job has she done? Well, I think it's pretty universal that she's done a really rather good job. And if you wind back to 2011 when she was appointed, that wasn't the expectation. In fact, there was a lot of people who said she's not an economist, she can't understand these very difficult international finance and economics issues. She was the wrong person for the job. In fact, the FT leader line was rather uh, (laughs) similar to that at the time. And I think most people would recognise that that is now not true. She's done a really remarkably good job in the sense that even though she's not a specialist in the economics, she's taken the brief from all the specialists who are there. She's able to articulate the difficult issues really rather well. And she has done what a lot of other IMF heads in the past have not been able to do, which is really have the respect of the international community and be able to cajole people into finding solutions. That doesn't mean that all problems in the world's economy have gone away, but the the organisation has run pretty smoothly under her and it'll be a tough job to follow. Okay, so it's a tough act to follow. Who are the leading contenders? Well, the leading contenders in history have always been European. and. It is likely that it will be a European again, not for any good reason, just because it's been a gentleman's agreement between Europe and the US that the US has the head of the World Bank and Europe has the head of the IMF. And so there's a huge number of European candidates, particularly at the moment. There's a lot of people who didn't get the European Central Bank job who might be thinking they have a future. But I think there are two front runners for the job from Europe. And one is Kristalina Georgieva, who is currently the chief executive at the World Bank, but has also had big jobs in the European Commission. She's Bulgarian? She's Bulgarian, yes. And so because Eastern European countries missed out of all the big European jobs, again, that will be in her favour. But she's also a very effective person, has a lot of respect on the world stage. And the other is that famous Irishman, Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England. He happens to hold three nationalities, Irish, British and Canadian. But we're downplaying the Canadian bit, right, for the purposes of being European. So the question here is, is he sufficiently European? If other European countries think he is, and they would play on the Irish part, not the British part, because Britain's not very popular in Europe right at the moment, if he is sufficiently Irish, then I think he has a very, very strong chance of getting it because He's been a Canadian minister. He's been a Canadian central bank governor, the UK's central bank governor. He's very respected in the forum of the IMF and he's shown he can, sometimes quite brutally, but manage a very large organisation. The left field name in the frame is, of course, George Osborne, who already has at least seven or eight jobs. He's currently editor of the Evening Standard, used to be the chancellor over here in the UK. Is this a serious possibility? I don't think so. He's very keen. He's thinking about it so we understood, but I think he's the one who's thinking about it more than other people. And here's something you might like to hear more about. If you shared the US military's worries about this year's July the 4th celebrations being politicised, spare a thought for the US space agency NASA, which has been given a deadline of 2024 by the Trump administration to put humans back on the moon. Henry Mance, our chief features writer, takes up the story. So unexpectedly, the Trump administration set a really tight deadline for NASA to put an astronaut back on the moon. It's 2024, 
And it was announced by Mike Pence, the vice president, backed by Donald Trump in March. But until then, NASA had really been thinking of a timeline of 2028. And so what you've got is a strange process now where NASA is committed and has no real choice about trying to put someone on the moon, a woman on the moon by 2024. But all of the infrastructure it was really working towards to make sustainable uh, human presence on the moon, potentially even Mars, that won't even start to come on until 2028, really. So they're kind of rushing to a tight deadline while having these longer term plans also in the pipeline. Donald Trump's goal seems to be to have some kind of spectacular achievement that makes his presidency look good. 2024 deadline would be while he's in his second term if he wins re-election. But I think the key thing with these missions is they're always very political. I mean, the science can be done if the funding can be found, and the funding can only be found if you satisfy certain political objectives. So Donald Trump is committed, but the real question is whether he can get Congress behind him, because that's where the money comes in. And NASA's estimate is uh, it will need an extra four to six billion dollars a year for the next five years. And so far, the Trump administration has only proposed 1.6 billion extra. So it's a very small sort of down payment to start with. But even that has been held up by Congress because the Trump administration has tried to pay for it by cutting college grants for low-income students. And Democrats have said, that's not acceptable. You know, if we want to build a country that excels in space exploration, you can't just pit the life chances of another generation of scientists. So I think there are real questions about whether the 2024 deadline will be hit. A lot of people I spoke to are very, very sceptical about it. And whether the money can come through. I mean, it's an incredibly divided Congress. And the way that Kennedy was able to do it in the 60s was partly to use Lyndon Johnson to grapple with senators and force them to vote in favour of the huge funding. And it was up to 5% nearly of the federal budget at one point. I think the conflicting priorities are definitely going to be an issue. And they could also change. I mean, if Donald Trump is voted out of office next year, then who knows where the lunar mission will be. And Democratic presidents have recently been much less keen on these kind of projects. Obama effectively tried to kill it. However, there is a kind of impetus as well. Uh, You know, China is interested in putting someone on the moon. We don't know the precise timescale. You had an Israeli private company which tried to put a lander on the moon this year unsuccessfully. And there is a feeling that space is a frontier again, and it's worthwhile going back there, and we can go back there. You have these skeptics who say, we should be focusing on climate change, we should be focusing on problems closer to home. But I I think the dreaminess has returned to the sector. And the question is, which parts of the dream become reality? It's not clear that 2024 and putting a, a woman on the moon will be one of them. You can read more on all these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keane and Mark Filipino. Our intern is Eileen Rodriguez. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. 
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.